0: Have you ever wondered why we do church? I mean, it can be easy to watch church online, attend church, even serve at a church, and still forget the reason why we do church. Now, one of the cool parts about being a Jesus follower is that we are on mission with Jesus. So what I want to do today is show you this mission in the Bible. The first four books of the New Testament are four accounts of the story of Jesus written by four different people. Each one highlights what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the instructions for our mission. Check this out first in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, therefore go. Now that's Jesus' clear assignment to us. Not a suggestion, but an assignment. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey Everything I have commanded you. Now, this last part is important because we are not doing this on our own, but Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is with you. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Mark says it like this He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke put it this way With my authority, take the message of repentance to all nations. Now, I'm highlighting these verses because I want to point out the clear assignment Jesus has given us. We don't do church just because. We are doing it because we have been given an important assignment. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. And we love this here at The Local because we believe that anyone can find faith right where they are. Now, I love how Jesus says this in John's gospel, John 20, 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is saying to us, just like he had an assignment on this earth, so do we. And in, in the book of Acts, which is the first book in the New Testament history, Jesus says this, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does that look like for us? Jerusalem is, well that equals where you live. Judea and Samaria, that equals where we live, Richmond, the U.S. And the ends of the earth, well, that equals the whole world. This is our assignment. So if you are wondering, why are we relaunching in September? Why do we try to make a church that you, a place that you can invite your friends? It's because we are on assignment. Now, we aren't doing the local just because we're like, Hey, wouldn't it be fun to just like start another church in Midlothian? No, we are not not doing it just for that. We are doing it because we want to see people who are far from God come close to God. We want to see people who are far from God come close. Now, I want to highlight this because it's easy. It's easy for church just to be something that we do. It's just a part of the routine. See, now church is just, just not a place where we gather and that's it. Church is a place where we gather and then we go make a difference. You know, it can be easy just to be a church consumer, but we want to be a great commission church. So we are so excited for the future. Now, we believe with schools starting back up and, you know, people are going to start getting back into routine, there's a need for church. And I want us to position ourselves to help people, to add value to them as we point them to Jesus. So today I want to give you one simple thought. And that simple thought is, we cannot reach what we cannot see. So for a lot of us, you know, honestly, we'd rather just not see. You know, it's easy to avoid getting to know your neighbors. It's easy to ignore the elderly. And think about this past year. They're they're feeling lonely, but it's easy to ignore a lot of elderly who have been alone this past year. It's easy while driving down the street to just turn our heads when we see a homeless person. Now, it's easy to ignore the fact that there are children in the foster care system that could really just use a loving home. And it's easy to pretend and to ignore that there's no nations that are in need. You know, so I, I was, there was this guy named Bob at the v- Vineyard Church I went to in Virginia Beach. And Bob, he was awesome. He, he had a homeless ministry. And what he would do, he would make these care packages to give out to the homeless. So one time, my wife Renee and I, we tagged along with them. We said, this would be awesome. And you know, I thought we were gonna go to like some facility or some type of soup kitchen to pass out these care packages. But no, Bob met the homeless people right where they are. He knew all their secret hangout spots. So one time we were just with them and we were going through like this forest. And next thing I know, we go to this abandoned uh, train track. It's crazy. And there's just so many homeless people, young and old, just hanging out. And the crazy part is, every one of them pretty much knew Bob's name because he would, he would just hang out with them, get to know their stories, get to, he would play cards with them, laugh with them, pray with them, um, encourage them. You know, it was awesome. And, and I, I just, you know, for me, for me, I, I'm guilty of, you know, driving in my car and I'll pass a homeless person and try my best not to make eye contact and I'm pretty sure there's plenty of us that do the same. We may look at them and say, well you know, if, if they're just drug addicts, you know, or, or maybe if I give them money they will just they're just gonna buy alcohol with it. You know, or, you know they, they probably put themselves in this situation. And what we do when we do that is essentially we start to see them as less than human. Now I'm not telling you that you have to be like Bob and go hit the streets and hang out with homeless people. I understand for a lot of you that just doesn't sound safe but maybe there is something you can do to help the homeless in your community maybe there's something you could do so we would love to partner with you if that's on your heart and f- find ways to empower you to do so now what bob taught me that day was sure many of them did have their issues many of them did have uh, problems that were beyond our b- abilities to help them with but they are still people they still deserve to be valued and once you get to know someone's story, once you, it becomes personal to you, you cannot unsee it. You cannot unsee it. We cannot unsee what we have seen. We cannot unsee what we have seen. Now, honestly, we have probably all experienced the feeling of being unseen before. So, like for most of us, it's probably on a smaller scale. It's probably on a smaller scale. Like, so say you work so hard to clean your whole house up, it's spick and span, and then the minute your kids step into the door, in a matter of seconds, it's, it's destroyed. Everything, all that hard work is mm, like a tornado came through. Or maybe you uh, tried to get in a turn lane, but the person in the car next to you won't let you in. Or and what do they do? What do they do? They pretend like they do not see you. You see them. You even have your turn signal on, but they act like they don't see you trying to switch lanes. And sometimes they even speed up just to ensure that you don't get in that lane. So when someone doesn't look at me trying to switch lanes, when someone doesn't look at me on the highway trying to switch lanes, if they don't look at me, then I'm just a car. I'm just a car. But if they look at me and see me, then I'm a person. And And that is the problem. Sometimes we lose sight of people. So let me tell you a story in the Bible. I'm going to set it up for you first. Now, the disciples go away to do a task, all 12 of them, and left Jesus alone. Jesus was parched. He was thirsty. So he goes to a well. And at this particular well, there's a Samaritan woman. Now, Jews and Samaritans did not connect. There are racial tensions between the two groups that separated them. And not only were there racial barriers, but there was also gender barriers. So men did not speak to women in public. And now there are two reasons. Many thought it was just inappropriate. And secondly, men just thought they were better than women, so they didn't give them any time or day. But Jesus walks up to this woman, and he smashes right through the racial and gender barrier. He says to her, hey, can I get a cup of water? And she's like, wow, you are talking to a Samaritan. And then Jesus is like, yeah, I am. By the way, where's your husband? And she says, uh, yeah, I don't have a husband. And he says, oh, I know, you have five husbands, and now you're hooking up with the pool boy. Okay, it doesn't say bull boy. I I added that part. But then she's like, you must be a prophet, a.k.a. you just read all my mail. So she recognizes that she's in the presence of greatness. And Jesus tells her, now if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water and you'll never thirst again. So Jesus is having this just this crazy, incredible encounter with this woman. Life change is happening, and faith is starting right where she is. And check this out, in John 4, 27 through 35. Just then, his disciples returned, and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. They were surprised for the reasons I mentioned before, but no one asked. So they walked up, they were surprised, but no one asked about it, no one asked. Jesus, uh, what are you doing? Why are you talking with this woman? No one asked, which is interesting because they are his students and he is their teacher. And if if your teacher is doing something you don't understand, wouldn't you think you would ask like a clarifying question? So a good question for us to ask is, why did John, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, include these two sentences here? Why did God want us to see this? And I think this is left in the story because God wanted us to see how Jesus was doing something incredible and how easy it is as his followers to miss it. So the story picks up. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Now I want you to picture this. There's a woman who by most standards in that day is just not a good person. She goes back to her town and around the corner tells everyone what she just experienced. Then the whole town is coming to see Jesus by the well. Now you would think as the students, if they saw all these people coming, that they would say, Jesus, wow, what's happening here? This is awesome. Instead, guess what the students say? They say, Rabbi, you need to eat something. They say, hey, yo, Jesus, it's time for lunch. Let's get a tuna sandwich from Subway. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He says, disciples, you know nothing. The disciples didn't even understand the metaphor. They brought up food, so Jesus used the food as a metaphor. Then his disciples said to him, said to each other, could someone have brought them food? They're like, oh, you know, someone must door-dash Jesus. Hey, Peter, did you see the door dash camel come by? Because I missed it. And you know, here's the point. Now here's the point. If they can miss it, could we? So Jesus says to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus is like, sometimes we don't see things or we pretend not to see things that we need to see right now. Now, I got a story for you. When I was six years old, I went to the school nurse, did an eye exam. Now... The nurse said to me, she was like, baby, I think you need glasses. You need to give, hey, I'm going to give you a note. Make sure you give this to your parents. Now, what did I do? You know, there was no email sent out back when I was in uh, first grade. She gave me a note and thought I was going to get it to my mom and dad. But I did not want to wear glasses. I refused to wear glasses. I did not want anybody calling me four eyes. So I crumbled that paper up, threw it in the trash. So for me, some time passed. And life was literally getting blurrier and blurrier. I couldn't see, but I still refused to let my parents know. So I remember playing on this little league baseball team and I couldn't see anything in the outfield when I was up at bat. So my strategy when I was up at bat became, I'm just not going to swing and I hope I get walked onto the base because I can't see anything, I'm not swinging. And so that strategy works sometimes, but other times I would strike out and my team and my coaches would be like, are you ever going to swing at a ball? Like. But, you know, for me, I was good. I was good. This was better. Striking out at baseball was better than having to wear glasses. You know, I was nearsighted, so I could see at least things right in front of me. I was good. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Sometimes I think we are spiritually nearsighted. And what does that mean? Nearsighted means you can see things that are close. I can see my family, my job, my money, my bills, my problems. But if you aren't in my direct line of sight up close, I can't see you. And if I can't see you, you're not my problem. My problem is only the stuff I can see. For the disciples, it was their belly. They were hungry. They couldn't see the town. See, one way to tell if you are spiritually nearsighted is this. If God answered all my prayers, would it change the world or would it just change me? Now I'm guilty of this too, but I know most of our prayers are in the nearsighted category. And their side of prayers can be good. You know, God cares about you. He wants to help you. But if we want to change the world, we have to open our eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. I also say this to you. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you only focus on yourself, if you only focus on yourself, your world won't get better. Instead of getting better, you'll just find more problems about yourself. So anyway, eventually around the age of eight, I just kind of take being okay with seeing only what was right in front of me. You know, the world or the rest of the world is just a blur to me. Can I take it? So I finally got glasses. And I'm telling you, for me, it was life-changing. I could my eyes were open to see how life was meant to be seen. Now in the same way, we need to get some spiritual glasses on. So our eyes can be open to see what God is up to all around us. So here you go. I want to give us three ways we can open our eyes. The first one is we can open our eyes to where they are. Now what do I mean by that? I'm not just talking about, like, international missions and bringing the gospel to on reach places. Now, those are important things, but for a lot of us, that's not what we're going to do. But there are people, there are people right around you, right around you. A cashier that you see each time you go to the store, a neighbor whose name you don't know yet. And if you are being a Jesus follower, you will begin to see that there's people all around you who you can encourage and influence, and I'm not talking about shouting the Bible at people and beating people in the heads with the Bible. That method doesn't, doesn't work. It just doesn't. I'm talking about leading the way in kindness and being aware that the people you meet every day, they're not just someone at the well, but they're a person, a person who deserves to be valued. And if that person encounters Jesus, guess what can happen? A whole local community can change. Now, Psalm 37:23 says this, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Now I'm convinced that God has given us divine appointments every single day, and we just seem to miss them. We just miss them. Now Proverbs 69 says this, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Now we all have busy schedules, you know I get it, and things that we need to do. But we must be willing to slow down and talk to people. And more importantly than just talking, we need to listen. Because if people will tell you, people will tell you where they need help if you have listened. To change our world, we need to connect before we correct. I'm gonna say that one more time. To change our world, we need to connect before we correct. Before we can help anyone, we must connect to them, build a relationship with them. Because most people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. Now, the second one is, we need to open our eyes to who they are. So it's easy right now to just count people out because everyone is mad. Everyone has a side. And that's the way the media has told us to live lately, right? Media wants to see p- people who aren't like us as enemies. We as the church must be careful never to group uh, people as our enemies, to view people or groups as our enemies, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Can I be honest? Sometimes... There's people who I just don't like. I, I know I'm not supposed to say that, honestly. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but come on. There's just people who, who can drive you crazy. And that's why it's an assignment. You know, with my job, sometimes you deal with a, I deal with a customer who seems to complain just for the sake of complaining, like maybe they didn't get exactly what they want. And just because I don't care for that one particular customer, it doesn't mean I should treat them badly. I still treat them with l- uh, love and respect. See, as Jesus followers, just because someone sees the world differently than you is not your job to dismiss them, but to love them like Jesus would. Now, Matthew 9:36 says this. When he, talking about Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus chose to see people differently. It's a choice, even for the mean people in the world. You can't just write them off, but pray for them because the truth is we know they're mean because they've been hurt. And hurt people just hurt people. So to change our world, we don't have to be like them, but we do have to like them. Third point, open our eyes to what they need. So where they are, who they are, and what they need. So here you go. There, in the church world, there, are, there seem to be two kind of churches. Two kind of churches. And, and I'm happy to tell you where we land on this today. Now, there's a true side, and then there's a gray side. The true side says, tell them they're sinners. You're going to hell, repent. You know, and in some ways they could be right. You know, we all sin and miss the mark, but they just aren't reaching anybody. If anything, they're pushing people farther away. God didn't call us to be right, but he called us to make a difference. But there's a world out there that would love to just tell people that they're wrong. Here you go, now there's the grace side. Grace, grace, grace. And there's a lot of truth in that. Jesus did pay it all. But if you live in any of the extremes, you will miss the way to treat people. So we say it like this, truth without grace is mean and grace without truth is meaningless. But in the middle where there's grace and truth, that's what will make a difference. John 1 14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who comes from the father, full of grace and truth. And grace always comes first. So one day, Jesus meets this chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, he was just a terrible man, bad, he hurt a lot of people. But what was Jesus' first words to him when he saw him? Hey man, you want to grab some dinner? Jesus didn't say, hey you short little thief, get out the tree. No, that was true, he was short and a thief. But I think we all know that Zacchaeus would have never repented with just the truth being told to him. But an invite to dinner does. And after dinner, guess what? Zacchaeus is so changed that he gets four times the amount he has stolen. There was this other time where Jesus was presented with this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. So they brought her to Jesus and they thought, we got him. Because according to law, she has to be killed. But then Jesus says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. So one by one, everyone left. And Jesus' first words to the woman, he said, So where are your accusers? They are here. So he says, neither do I accuse you. That's grace. Then he says, leave your life of sin. There was truth, grace, and truth. So to change our world, what do we need to do? We need to show people the same kind of love God showed us, unconditional love. And I am so thankful that we are a church who chooses to see the people that God has placed around us. We choose to add value to people and to encourage and love people. Because guess what? The local, we are a church that is on a mission with Jesus. Pray with me. God, I pray that we can see the people around us, that we can see the people in the trees, that we can see the woman by the well, God, we, that we can see the people that need your love and your encouragement. So God, I pray that we step out of our comfort zones, that we step out of our everyday routine, and that you open our eyes to see those around us, those that need a, an encouraging word, that need a friend, that we can connect with God. So give us your heart, God, your heart for people, God, and I, I just thank you for everything you are doing through this local Vineyard Church.